Welcome to Story of a Storyteller. I'm your host, Connor Braden. This is the show where I found out all about the ins and outs of the lives of storytellers of all kinds. You can find my free novella, The Stolen Dagger, episode show notes, links to all sorts of amazing books, and more at connorbraden.com slash podcast. Enjoy! episode 10 of story of a storyteller and it's the season two finale can you believe it my guest today is dixon rule dixon rule is the pen name of irish writer eve power eve is the author of the Bloodbrood series a horror series that tells the tale of a coven of vampires trying to survive a zombie apocalypse eve and i talk about why she uses such an unusual pen name and why Unlike most authors who use pen names, she's very happy for her real name to be known. She released her first book, Rise of One, at the tail end of 2020. She plans on releasing her next two books this year, with the final two coming out next year, in 2022. We talked about the ups and downs of 2020, and her first writing love, poetry. I also spoke with Eve about how she plans a book, and then how she plans a series. So, all you pantsers, listen up. Eve has some things to say. <laughs> Before we listen to Eve, as it's the season finale, I thought I'd like to give an update on this podcast in general and my mission going forward. So, I created this podcast for a couple of reasons. First, I wanted to chat and get to know other writers and learn what I could from them, and a podcast was a great way to do that. This has completely succeeded, and some of past guests uh, have already become really good friends since our interviews. I've also been granted some incredible opportunities through the connections I've made. Secondly, I wanted to share some amazing life stories of other authors out there, like Mike Coles and Jennifer Benson, for example. And the fact that I got one email, it's the only fan email I've got so far, but hey, it's good. I got one email from a fan just talking about how much they enjoyed a particular episode, and that just proves that I'm achieving that as well. But, and it would be disingenuous of me to admit this, Uh, to omit not admit I also did start the podcast to market myself as a writer to market my books and to get my voice out there and I've been a bit hesitant I think or embarrassed to talk about my works like that it's a it's a hard thing to do for most people it's a very hard thing for Irish people to do to be honest Um, it's something actually myself and a previous guest bonded over we kind of both said hey this is This is something I thought was just my culture. It seems to be everyone's. Maybe I'm not. Maybe it's not just Irish people. But there's this idea of getting notions about yourself in Ireland that no Irish person can get away from. So that's why a lot of people from Ireland are very hesitant to praise themselves um, and talk about their works and be proud of themselves. So that's my. this is my effort to stop doing that. So in case you've been listening for a while and didn't know, I do have a free uh, book that you can read and check it out and of course I have The Longest Night for sale as always on my website Um, so if you head over if you want the free book you can head over to connorbraden.com slash free book all one word and you can check it out it's called The Stolen Dagger and I'm really proud of it anyway enough about me that's not really why you're here you're here to listen to Eve Power talk about being Dixon Rule and all of her wonderful books 
Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Story of a Storyteller, uh, the podcast where I talk to and get to know um, the story of a storyteller. That I've never said it like that before and now I feel really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the story of the story <laughs> say the podcast name three or four times uh, my guest today is uh, well you see here's the thing how do i introduce you because you have two names eve is you? fine eve is eve fine. fine eve who writes under dixon rule dixon rule there we go so my guest today is eve who writes under the name dixon rule and i'm glad you said it because i just realized i didn't actually check out the pronunciation of the surname um, which anyone who listens to this podcast a few times will know that's a running theme I always forget to check surnames and then I say them wrong and, and from the off tip for indie authors never pick a pen name that you can't pronounce and that other people can't pronounce top tip right there bestseller <laughs> status let's go <laughs> straight into the tips uh so before we actually get into the tips I I do want to explore that thing of your name um because you know you have a, a real name Eve and all that but you write under Dixon Rule so mm. first explain uh, explain the name Dixon Rule and then explain why you write under a pen name um, especially because sorry to put across you before you even say it um, most it. I know it's a very Irish podcast this evening folks um, most of the people I know that write under pen names they hide their real name but you're quite openly like hi my name's Eve so yeah mm. okay well Let's start by breaking down Dixon rule. So to me, I love Easter eggs in things and I love callbacks and things. So Dixon, if you know a little show called Star Trek, um, Star Trek Next Generation, Picard used to love to go into the holodeck and become Dixon Hill, P.I. So that's where Dixon comes from. (laughs) And then rule is one of the R's in J.R.R. Tolkien. So I was like, if I was, I always tried to think of like from the reader's perspective, I was a reader and I saw this book and I was like, okay, I don't know about Dixon, but real, that's from J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm actually like a real hardcore nerd. I think that might tickle their interest. So that's why I fell on Dixon rule. Very, very good. So why are you so open mm -hmm. about your name being Eve? Like, why not just stick to Dixon rule? No, because like it's Dixon rule. I'm fooling no one. (laughs) Like... (laughs) To me, okay, look, it's a gender neutral name, which I think helps when you write SFF, science fiction, fantasy and uh, horror or paranormal. I think that helps to have the gender neutral name. But uh, to me, there's no point. I'm the the name Eve Power, Eve Marie Power, actually, is the name I've kind of always written from in the beginning. And that's where I got published and won awards for poetry. And that's where I started out as a writer's poetry. But then when you write about vampires and zombies and post-apocalyptic and that sort of thing, you're like, you can't be lovely Eve Marie Power anymore. Dixon Rule suits that better. It's just a better label to have. And then when I write under Dixon Rule, you kind of snap into that mindset. Dixon Rule is a different author in tone, subject matter, genre than Eve Marie Power the poet so what about your poetry like how oh. <clears throat> how did you get from you know poetry to vampires in love with humans surviving a zombie apocalypse like what, I'm, gonna, what, I'm gonna blow your mind Connor I'm gonna blow your mind and I'm glad yeah. you're sitting down yeah I am poetry too. good poetry and science fiction fantasy are the exact same thing <laughs> they're the exact same thing they are there are 
attempt to communicate with something beyond what we can see. Poetry tries to express the intangible and SFF tries to manifest that as well. They're actually pretty much the same thing. Just one is just more shorter and perhaps with um, more rhyming. <laughs> and that'd be the novels about vampires and zombies. Well, Tolkien, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. literally song after song. After song. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about growing up? Like what books or stories and poems, I suppose, were important to We Eve? Um, so say in terms of books, my the book that got me writing and the book that kind of opened my eyes to literature is The Neverending Story by Michael End. And I know most people have seen the film, but mm. I highly, highly recommend reading the book as an adult because it's actually two books in one. The first book is the story of Atreo and Artex and Falcor and all the fantasy elements. And then it switches in the second half, like literally the font changes. And if you have a really fancy version, the text color changes and it becomes about Bastion, the human who goes into the fantasy world and how that affects him. And that story alone really opened my eyes to when you go into the fantasy world of your head, that can kind of change you in real life as a person. I thought that was fascinating. You know, when you're like 12, 13, that like blows your mind. It's like the best thing ever. Uh, even younger, maybe. I think I read that slightly younger. But then one or two other books. Um, the Last Unicorn by um, Peter Beagle. That is also a movie. It's like an animation movie, The Last Unicorn. When I saw that, that blew me away. The art style and everything. And then when you read the book, it's again another one of those books. When you find the book behind the movie, it's always you know, snobby, but 10 times better, you know, and this one has songs and poems in it as well. And then I'd say a third book that really was like, oh, you can be Irish and do this. You can actually be an <laughs> Irish author of fantasy weird stuff was uh, Michael Carroll, the children's author. He put out a series and it's called Moonlight. And it's just like about unicorns in Ireland. And I was just like, I, re- I remember it was on like the toy show one year. And I remember picking it up in like probably Eason somewhere. And that blew my mind as well. Small little book. And it's like, oh, Irish people can do this. Because no one in my family is, say, creative or a writer or an artist or anything like that. And it was that was eye opening. So I think it's the books you kind of see and find, isn't it? Yeah. That kind of open your eyes step by step by step to what's possible. Um, so yeah, they'd be this easily. Hmm. So I think I was always going to go down the science fiction fantasy path. I think that was, it could be at now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to be honest, when you started saying Irish children's series, I thought you were going to say the um, Darren Shan books, mm. Cirque du Freak and all them. Um, no. But... No. <laughs> they're your ones, are they? they? They're my ones. They're the ones yeah, that yeah. I was just like, wait, he's from Ireland? Because I, yeah. I, I, I think I got to book, there's 12 in the series. And I think I got to book seven when I found out he was Irish because <laughs> the the author in those books, for anyone who doesn't know them, named the first character after himself. Something I still haven't analysed or thought about and won't. <laughs> um, so like Darren Ooh, Shan wrote it, but the main character is, not even Darren, the main character is Darren Shan. And um, Darren Shan, the character, is clearly in America just based on small things like there being a subway and, and all those oh, yeah. kind of things you know yeah. so when I found out he was Irish I was just like whoa what we can do this and I think that just shows how important representation is in on children's bookshelves to be exact you know Huge. to show a wide range and now Ireland is a lot more multicultural 
than mm. when you and I were growing up. Um, mm. Like to have multicultural books and stuff like that on the shelf and all that. It just shows how important yeah. it is. Because it, it was eye-opening to us that someone could be Irish, regardless of creed, colour, gender, as we say. But now it's like, you need to see the nuances in that. It's not, it's not good enough anymore for it to be, wow, an Irish person writes SFF. It needs to be, everybody needs to be represented, represented in that. Represented in that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so then, Never Ending Story, Last Unicorn, and uh, all those books, they made you go, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool. So at what point did you start putting pen to paper? When the X-Files came on telly and I discovered the wonderful world of fan fiction, <laughs> I would watch, they, I remember the episodes didn't finish till 10 o'clock and that was, that was late in secondary school. And I remember the next day in class, I would tear at you know, the middle page of your copy book. So it would be like four pages and yeah. I'd write, write fan fiction between classes and those few minutes before the teacher would come be like, oh yeah, fan fiction. And oh, I'd even get like stickers, X-Files stickers and like have them in the margins because that's how real books are made. I didn't know, but definitely, I mean, I'm a huge lover of fan fiction and I don't get the snobbery towards it at all. I think it's so freeing just to dip into someone else's universe and use the tools of the narrative landscape that they've set up to express what you want to do with the story in the world so go fan fiction I think uh, no I to totally that. agree and there, there mm. was a recent enough as of us recording this uh blow up on Twitter and everywhere it seemed on online of this kind of pro anti fan fiction kind of debate and I just thought it was bizarre because like you said it it's it's such a great place to cut your teeth um mm. as a writer because <clears throat> I know one of the longest things I wrote for a long time was my attempt to um, turn the storyline of Final Fantasy VII into a, a novel because I loved the story so much. Oh. And I had a friend who I was like, you'll love the story, but she hated video games and still does. So I was actually writing it just Ooh. so she could get into oh. it. Um, so yeah, like I, I totally agree. Fan fiction is is totally legitimate and it's it's you know it's i mean some of the world's best-selling books started out as fan fiction i didn't say yeah. best i said best-selling 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 <laughs> clear um so <clears throat> you had your start in poetry you, you you said you won awards and for anyone outside of ireland one award that you became a runner-up in was the patrick Kavanagh poetry award which is yeah like huge um <laughs> so it, well in my eyes it is so no, it, yeah, yeah. what is it about writing poetry particularly that you fell in love with I'm like I'm gonna deliver this caveat I'm the world's worst poet <laughs> and not in terms of like oh my art it's like I actually don't kind of like poetry and poets oh. generally so what to me what poetry is do you know those poems where the line sticks with not just you and I personally but it kind of the lines that stick in the collective consciousness of people like you know those big lines and go to Inishfree that is such a universal deep thing and like I still get goosebumps when I hear that because (laughs) genuinely that's what we all kind of want to do the big lines from like Robert Frost you know Two roads diverged in the yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood. That's so universal, but yet communicated in such a lyrical, 
masterful, craftful way with the English language, that it can't help but resonate. And that's the poetry I like. I have this terrible joke, and you can totally cut this if you want to. Oh, every poet, <laughs> no, no, every um, every Irish poetry collection has three poems. It has my husband cheated on me, a child died, and my mother hates me. Those three <laughs> poems are in every Irish poetry collection, and I wager every American and every Canadian, because those again are universal problems, okay? And you know they're serious problems, but when you see them time and time again, where's the resonance, you know? Yeah. And this isn't going to turn into like some argument for and against poetry, but it's just to warn you. I like Ozymandias, King of Kings, look on my works, ye mighty, ye and, mighty despair. and despair. I love that poem. <laughs> yeah. And those are the lines that make it into TV, Breaking Bad. That was in that episode. Written by Ryan Johnson, by the way, the Ozymandias episode. Oh, Ah, oh, mm. did not know that. Okay. So the poetry I like, it has to resonate. And when I, when I write poetry, I try and do the same, you mm. know. Um, but that's so difficult because if you think of like, <clears throat> uh, yes, we've named a few poems where both of us could finish the other half of the line. Um, like Just throwing it out there. One of my favorite, favorite lines of poetry of all time is tread softly for you tread on my dreams. Like, Oh, every time I think of that. So, yeah. but like, that's such a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of poetry written worldwide. And, and it's also, the Olympics nearly of poetry. It's like the golden medal yeah. of the 1% of the 1%. And also they're all white men, you know. I was about to say, yeah. There you go. So we, <laughs> I mean, it's my own fault for not exposing myself more to poetry, but personally, I've drawn away from poetry a lot, even though I've, you know, run up to the poetry cabin and a few other things. Um, I'll just say that my kind of experience with poetry in Ireland has been, you know, as runner up, runner up for this, as you, you said, a big award. Mm. And I genuinely thought that would be the that would be the life changing thing. I genuinely thought, oh, because the Patrick cabin is for a collection of poems. It's for a collection of 20 poems. So it's for a book, your first chapbook. Yeah. So I was like, oh, OK. So I went around to all the publishers and it was rejected from all of them. No one wanted to publish it. So I got even, individual poems. Even though it was uh, the runner up for the award. Yeah. And then wow. I went, took poems from it, went around to all the magazines. You can list them all, you know, the real literary ones, smaller ones. And it was very hard that they were all rejected too. There was something very strange going on. Now, I even got like my cover letter, you know, critiqued by you know other writers that I knew and it wasn't that I was like posting my underwear to them with the poetry <laughs> submission or anything nothing like that it was literally like hi I won this thing please please publish me thanks thanks um no I did get like some nods I was say the Cork Poetry Festival I was named an emerging poet there and all the rest like but in terms of publishing the poetry none of that kind of came through and there's no one you can go to in Ireland like imagine yourself you want you're like why am I hitting this wall there's no one you can go to yeah. in the world of poetry to ask. And I found it to be incredibly cliquish. And it's something that really pushed me towards indie publishing and kind of the lack of not, not coming up against that wall of subjection. It was very strange. So it wasn't a good experience, but on the other hand, it was an amazing experience. So. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. So it's kind of like yeah. the, being recognized for your, your talent and your efforts and your, your craft on one hand. But then 
when it came to the people that decide who does and who doesn't make money, that's where you kind of hit the pitfall. Mm, um, it was like the lack of community even because, you know yourself, you go to a writer's group, who's writing poetry? Do you want yeah. to listen to their poetry? Not really on like a Thursday night, you know. So I'm like, I'm so much more happier with my vampires, my zombies. Like, that's me. That's genuinely who I am. That's really what makes me happy. So I'm more than happy to be like, poetry's lovely. I, I've been there, done that. It's like the first marriage. You're like, oh, I've been there, done that. <laughs> we'll do better next time. <laughs> now I, I know what mistakes gotten... not to make. <laughs> I know she just got engaged. I shouldn't say anything, but yeah. <laughs> um, so the, speak, speaking of, you, you said earlier that you think poetry and um, science fiction and fantasy are kind of, you didn't say the same thing, but let's just say they're, they're cut from the same cloth. They're, they're two go. sides of the one coin, whatever. Um, hmm. What do you think is the biggest difference? Um, and I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at you because this is yeah. the list of questions that I did. Um, go on. What's something poetry can do better than novels and what's something novels do better than poetry? Novels get that tingly feeling so much quicker. It's like being dropped down into a well. It's like being plunged into the ice water. Whereas a novel can often be a lovely trip down a river and then you go over a waterfall that stays with you for the rest of your life. Mm. It's just the delivery method. I think it's a sheer word count thing because essentially they're the same thing to me. Yeah. And kind of they're no real different to write either. Mm. You know. I think they should be treated that way because if you're striving for something that will really resonate with people universally and sound good lyrically, you want that in a novel, you want that in a poem, you want that in a short story, you want that in any story, even if your medium isn't words at all, if it's ceramics, you know, you want that resonance and that touch of the universal, if you can get there. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really good. Um, so then what, was so so I've kind of brought you from childhood all the way up to uh getting rejected for poetry oh um, yeah so, so what then made you um flip the coin and look at novel writing and, and specifically what got you starting to write Rise of One your first novel mm. uh, your first published novel I should yeah. so let's see um I did a HDIP in creative writing through Manute which was a year long and it was a weekend every month. And there I <laughs> disabused myself of poetry and discovered like the longer forms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kick it out the door. And so there I developed a YA trilogy, which I would still like to get tried published. Like I'm quite happy to be a hybrid author. That's no bother. But it was just very interesting. Do you know when you're in a writer's circle and you see other people and like you can't see your own limitations, but you can see theirs. And so many yes. people were married to like this one idea, this one novel, like a memoir of their dead parent or something like that. And it's nearly it's nearly sad to watch them labor over this one book that they think will change their life. And it was something that kept happening. And I, even after like the HDIP and years and even, even geez, today, you see. I'm sure you see so many writers, it's, it's the one universe and that's all they got and all their hopes and dreams are on it. And I was like, look, let's just, let's just do something really different. Let's just put the YA trilogy off to the side. Let's go, let's take two things. Let's take vampires, let's take zombies. What can we do with that? So I decided to allow myself to play. And I think a lot of writers don't do that. Or if they allow themselves to play, it's in like one page of a notebook. I'm like, 
let's do five books. <laughs> let's do it. You know, let's let's set a target you can't even see. Let's see what what you can do. And that's kind of how I approach a lot of things in life. It's like, is it possible? Don't know. Let's try. Hey, is it possible? Don't know. But I'm going to do five of them. Um. Hey. <laughs> But the lessons you learn along the way. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's like what I want to do, like even after Blood Brew, the series is called Blood Brew. When that's finished, I'm like, okay, let's take The Witcher and let's take The Mandalorian and let's mash them together in like a sci-fi adventure space trilogy. You know, but I'm like, girl, you got to slow down. Let's write these five first. Calm down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One step at a time. Actually, yeah. That's one thing I really wanted to talk to you in particular about because when when I'm looking for um, people to have on the podcast, like my mission statement, I kind of have two. For the public, it's to find really interesting life stories, and then for me, it's I want to find people that I can learn from to to become a better writer. And the one thing from you that I'm like thinking I could learn from is planning and writing a series before you've even written one book because I, I well I, I assume because to look at it I mean for those who don't know uh, I'll just kind of blaze through your work so you have two free short stories um that are out for people to kind of as a as a reader magnet that we call it in, yes, the, in, yes, in the well done. Well um done. then your first book came out la- um, so this is, ge- this is February um so your first book came out just before Christmas um your second book's coming out this summer third is coming out this winter fourth yes. summer fifth mm-hmm. winter so mm-hmm. in less, in a little over two years, you're planning on releasing five books and it seems like you're mm. on track. So how did you, how? That's, I, I can't even finish the question, how? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you. And I'm not going to be smart about this because I think this is a very important lesson. And I've kind of been there around people who haven't learned this lesson. You have to plan. Mm. And when writers hear this, no, I'm a panther. No, I cannot has do. No, it will kill my creativity. Uh, and you know, <laughs> that's not even me being over dramatic. That's what you get when you get like a war dance from people who you have to plan. You can't just like turn up at a page and go, okay, so something happens here, book one, page one. That has to resonate. Last page, book five. Mm. You're gonna have to plan. And then from there, you're like, okay, girl, I know I, I know I need to plan. Now what? <laughs> now what? So I looked into different outlining methods. And, well, first of all, no, I, I, I'll step back there. I opened a spreadsheet, which is my answer to everything in life. You got to do something, open a spreadsheet. Do you want something funny? Data. I interviewed uh, children's author Eve McDonald, or McDonald, ah. she'll kill me for saying Donald. And she is also a big fan of the spreadsheets. So that must be an Eve. If you're a writer whose name is Eve, you're a big fan of spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that user that URL now. www.evespreadsheetwriters.com. <laughs> <laughs> Join the club. We're great fun. <laughs> well, out of the two of you you've met so far. <laughs> hey. Um, but yeah, no, a spreadsheet. So it was literally like, oh, do you know the way you'd plan out nearly an essay in school? It's like, okay, you've the setup. You have the middle bit and you have the ending. Uh, and then you write a book based on your little spreadsheet and you go, oh, oh no. Book is something very different. A series is something very different. So yeah. I looked up. If I can just yeah. jump in, because that's something that personally I'm trying to get my head around. Because when I when you look up writing a series, planning a series online, 
there's very little really unless you scroll to the 75th page on google and there's gold there but i mean who does that so mm. like because there's a lot of planning your book and structuring your book and i i have one book out that i am hoping to turn into a quadrology a quad four series four books series. series yeah four book series and i'm like because i i put so much into my first book and i and any little idea i had i'm like it's going in it's really it's, i'm not holding back and now i'm like oh no <laughs> i is so, empty now <laughs> yeah so how do you plan okay. a series versus a book i'm glad yeah so uh the two answers two parts to that answer part one is Find the planning, outlining method that works for you for your next book. Don't, like, if spreadsheets work for book one and then you realize they don't work, change it. You can change your outlining methods. They're not set in stone. I looked up, people are going to cringe. People are going to turn off the podcast. It's Save the Cat. Okay? Save the Cat will break your story into 15 scenes. Mm -hmm. And then it will kind of massage that out into 40 scenes. 40 scenes is your book. And if you can swallow that, which seems to be a very hard pill for some writers, if you can swallow a framework, you'll be fine. So that's what I'm doing for book two. The second part of that question, of the answer is resonance. So you know all the stuff you dumped into book one. Mm. So for example, in my book, in book one, there's a tomcat. In book two, people are going to remember the tomcat. People are going to, hate stupid cat god what was he at people are going to they are going to have reactions to stuff you put in book one even if there's no bloody cat in book two three or four there's no cat until book five the cat existed it will affect your readers your characters throughout i believe so even things like if someone has a gammy knee maybe in book three they get a new walking stick it's that constant referring referencing back and pulling out and letting it spread out, I think what, what I think separates, say, a more amateur writer from a professional writer is an amateur lets out new stuff constantly, like a stream out, out, out. But it takes a real professional to pick back over that and go, oh, I can expand here, over here, and take this bit here, over here. Oh, and that actually rolls into the plot over there. Oh, OK. I think allow yourself to do that. I think too many people want to just I see it, you see it on Twitter too. People posting their word counts. Oh, I got 5,000 words today done. I'm like, yeah, but how, how many of those are going to stay in your book, though? Seriously? You're not going to edit that? Okay. Yeah. 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 I think allow yourself to change. And as you get older, I'm, I'm very old now, I'm 37. You have to allow yourself to, yeah, I know. You have to allow yourself to change. And be creative, like, be creative. Some of the worst advice ever, but uh, I don't know. I think people, as I've said before, get too married to one idea of how things should be. And I've started outlining this way. You have to be so flexible. Mm-hmm. And thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> and that's always time for it. <laughs> hey, later, folks. No, no, I think, I think you're onto something. Because, like, so my first novel, and I mm. always say my first novel, I don't say my book, because if I say my book, it sounds like I'm done. So I always say first novel because it's like I'll stop. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so with my first novel, I uh, planned using one method and it, it worked amazingly. I really mm. could get into the flow. And then I sent the book off to my editor, who did a fantastic job. Amazing. Don't you love editors? Oh, they're I the best. They're, they're oh, amazing. Yeah. But but 
then I found this new software for planning. Um, uh, I'm not going to mention it by name, but if they want me to, they can get in touch and I can do a sponsorship deal. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'll just see what it's like. I was experimenting and I just plotted out my first book in that again, just to see how the software worked. And then I was like, oh, oh no. And I realized I had eight chapters, all of them happening at night. And for anyone outside of Ireland, they're not going to twig this. They happened on Stephen's Green, <laughs> right? Um, outside the GPO, Donegal. In what, 1914, And it was all supposed to be in one night. I was like, oh, oh, God. One night. Yeah. So it was through planning a different method. I realized there was this huge plot hole that I just I didn't separate by the days because there's literally yeah. one chapter ended with him and he got under the bus and got away from the bad guys. And then the next one, he stepped off the bus and ran to his house. And it's just like, no, I have to have a thing. So even even that, like planning your book in a different way and you'd be surprised mistakes that professionals didn't catch. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's frightening because I had that literal thing happen I was very lucky enough to win a mentorship through Words Ireland and the Arts Council Uh, mine was with Oisin McCann amazing writer does I think it's 20,000 AD or Judge Dredd one of those as well yeah and he took my lovely little YA trilogy page one he's like why is this if not this exact same with you like the one bus trip for the whole night to all the locations and you just go oh it's the most humbling experience and it's wonderful because the next time you go to write something, you're like, yeah, keep it in check. Right. Keep it in check. Yeah. Watch yourself as you tell stories. It's kind of like what you're saying about the um, people that were in the H-dip with you, that um, like they were so zeroed in, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. You know, that kind of Somewhere, thing. Somewhere, yeah. It depends obviously on the writing project. Like a memoir is going to be a very personal thing versus oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a story that say you told to your child when they were growing up and or just something you just want to write out of your head because that's what you want to write I do think not even just the hate it but I do think nearly university are kind of being married to something forcefully is if you can get that out of your out of you when you're writing I think you'll have a much nicer time you know mm-hmm. but like I'm sure I do things that I should really let go of, but Jess we're not doing that yeah like it's it's a kind of a thing of you um I, I can't remember the exact phrase but I remember someone said it to me and it was along the lines of um the hardest person to give advice to is yourself like oh. you, you can, you can, yeah. you, I can, I can sit up here and I can preach and I can tell every author in the teacher's thing, voice and everything. Anything. Oh, use the, use the finger wag that I learned oh, in St. Pat's. Yeah. Like all that kind of stuff. But then I can't, like, I can't see I'm making the same mistakes. I, I you know, it's one of those yeah. things. Yeah. I want to move on a little bit. I want to stick with series and writing. Um, hmm. I recently listened to like literally the day I, prepared for this interview i listened to uh, a different podcast and they had someone on about writing series and i was like oh cool and they came up they explained the, the guests in that podcast explained the concept of a character arc series versus a flat arc series so i'll just explain what they mean with that and i want to get your thoughts on it character arc series is like your series blood blood brute where there is a beginning there is a middle there is an end it might not necessarily be three books it might be five it might be 12 but there is an end in sight and then a flat arc series is the main character doesn't change that much it's like Poirot or it's, it's like Goosebumps like it's just you know it's always it's just each book is kind of its own thing and I have the same characters but that's it so why why did first why did you write a, a character arc series where you do have an end in sight and what do you think is the benefit of a character arc versus a flat arc series mm. 
And that's something I actually sat down to research deliberately before I started Blood Group because I saw a great video on how Back to the Future is a great example of a flat, yeah, character arc. And I wanted a character who has faults, say, that I have, or, you know, in terms of, as we were literally just talking about, you can't see your own faults. Mm. So in book one, I wanted a character where maybe not even the reader can see his faults. You know, you think, oh, he's just surviving. He's doing his best. He's trying. But as things unravel over two, three, four, and five, I really wanted that arc of people coming up to him and going, hey, that thing from book one, that actually wasn't healthy for you or for us. And what you did here, actually, that wasn't right. And then I think I've experienced this a lot in life. I don't know if you have, where you think you're talking great or you're doing something good. But yeah, people will come back to you later and be like, actually, that was awful. Or actually, you shouldn't have done that. And you're like, no, no, I had the best of intentions. And I really wanted that. I really wanted that panic and that kind of someone holding up the mirror to a character who thinks, believes, knows, sees themselves as a great leader, a great protector. Because book one starts, say, in the relative safety of the, the vampire coven living in safety. They're protected by walls, they're protected by magic. And... Their main problem is that they've just been alive too long together. And it's it's that kind of, as we all know now in lockdown, <laughs> it's that kind of breathlessness that comes with having people around you all the time and you can't move without looking at people. So under those circumstances, anyone could be fine. You know, you'd be like, you give them a break, you cut the sack. But I really wanted that arc over the five books of that was wrong. You should have mm-hmm. done it differently. And then the reaction to that and whether the main character rise the vampire has grown enough suffered enough to take that on board and change or what will you do yeah it's really really interesting and it's it's it's, it's I, I i agree i do think uh, a character arc series is it's it's just you can do so much more and it's like you were saying earlier about you know some writers give themselves a page to play with but like a character arc series gives you an, I don't want to say unlimited, but it's unlimited in the sense of a series can be two, three, 12 books. It doesn't matter. But if you know there's going to be an ending, you you have yeah. this limited space to play, but you know, but like my mom's going to call me in for dinner. So I have to stop playing at some point. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Like I know, like, and what I really like in this series is what I'm kind of messing around with. The location changes differently each book. So book one is in Owl Court, which is like this red brick little homestead, a small holding with chickens and pigs. And it's all very pastoral, very shire. Book two will actually take place in Ireland and it will be something completely different. Yay. <laughs> um, and then book three will be somewhere else. Same, in fact. So very even good. location to change. Yeah. I think even that's an arc in of itself. Yeah, it's, it's a literal journey. Yeah. Um, can you go back home will you be the same person no will home be the same person no, no. can you deal with that hopefully can you deal with that tough <laughs> you have to you gotta yeah um so so this is one thing that i struggled with i knew i mean i i know we're both um fans of joanna penn um I, that's actually the podcast i mentioned earlier that i was uh, oh she's brilliant yeah brilliant she's Anyone who's an indie author listening to this or thinking about becoming an indie author, um, listen to Joanna Penn and do what she tells you to do. Because I didn't. 
Oh no! You didn't listen to Joanna. You didn't listen to Joanna. And if I ever have her on this podcast, that's the first thing I'm going to say. I'm "I'm so sorry. Um, But what did you do? (laughs) I published the book when it wasn't ready, right? So I, I didn't. I, I just didn't build up an email list to have people there that were hungry for the book. I didn't. I didn't have a lot of. I had two. No, I had four beta readers, two of whom read the book and got back to me. Um, like all those small things and the prep because I was so proud and excited and giddy and ready to publish that when the book was ready and I got the cover and I had done my own version of the copy edit, not a good job. I was like, ah, screw it. And I just released it into the world. So how did you not do that? Because I assume you have a certain amount of book two, three, four, and five ready to an extent. So like how, when you had book one done, like, did you go straight on to book two or did you release it and then go on to, like, how, how did you not just hit publish when you were ready? How did you wait? I, I'll tell you, one of the interesting things about being an indie author is, as we talked about before, reader magnets. So before Rise of One, the first book was published, I have two short story prequels. One is about 3,000 words. The other one is about 13,000 words. They need covers. 13. Wow. That's quite a long short story. So they need covers, which fall in with the series. Hmm. So your kind of publication of your first book is my publication of my two prequels, because I'm sure you know this, you publish, and then the world keeps turning, Connor. The Unfortunately. World and it's not that no one cares, but there is that moment where you sit at your desk and go, oh, I'm published. Now what? Now what? <laughs> and the birds are still singing outside and the postman is still delivering. And you're just like, oh, okay. I'm sure you've had that moment where you realize it's like, it's shocking. You're like, oh, I did something. Yeah. But like, and that was, I, that saved my skin was the reader magnets. And that's where I learned that lesson was on the reader magnets. Because, yeah, I took, I unpublished them. I went back to the drawing board on some of them, uh, enlisted maybe a, an editor, beta reader. And just polished, spit and polished up one or two things and then released it again. So by the time it came to release Rise of One, that was, I was well disabused of that. That wasn't the concern. That was in the bin with poetry. You had learned your lesson. <laughs> oh, it's such a sore lesson. But let me tell you something. Like publishing that first book is the greatest lesson of your life. Oh, because yeah. there's elements when you hit publish, you're like, I am never doing A, B, C, ever again and you're such a oh, better writer and you I went like all the, the way to J <laughs> I was like I'm not doing alphabet. as they say here Milished. so yeah and I think as you write book two you you I feel this panic of no no I'm such a better writer guys than book one you have no idea guys dude I'm so much better and I turned into like I turned into like someone from point break <laughs> dude you don't even know <laughs> how good book two is uh, yeah so what I love is the lessons that you learn as you go along I mean I will I just want to say something and this is I mean uh, this isn't the question of the podcast but it's just a little lump of wisdom I'd like to drop in do please yeah. and I only discovered it last week and it's quite life-changing because I browse reddit a lot and there's so much shite on reddit but every now and then there's this one little nugget that changes your life and you're like oh everyone needs to know this so all the happiness and hope and joy that you feel in life around your book being published. Like as you were saying, that giddiness, you just want to hit publish. All the joy, take that and put that onto the 
process of every day. Damn. So when you sit down every day, that's your joy. The yeah. Getting published is not your joy. It's going to happen and you can enjoy it. But your happiness cannot depend on being published. It depends on the process, the daily habit. And I think to get to the end of five books plus two shorts, that's what's keeping me going. It's not talent. It's not some kind of mad determination. It's just the movement of happiness, which sounds very airy-fairy. And that's about as creative as I get. It does, but it doesn't. Like, I get I get mm. what you mean, too. Um, and just when you mentioned lumps of wisdom you found on Reddit that changed your life, I, I had one that changed my life several tell years me, tell me. I still tell say me. it to everybody is if you're having a conversation pay attention to what you're doing are you waiting for your turn to speak or are you trying to learn about the other person mm. and I think because a few people have said that, that they enjoy this podcast and I think that's one thing I really try to bring into this when I'm interviewing it's like I'm not waiting for my turn to speak I'm, I'm trying to learn about Eve you know uh, and I think that's just something applied to everywhere in life there you go. A little bit of two yeah. great nuggets of wisdom <laughs> via Reddit. We're so wise. The wisdom of Reddit.com. And I'd like, I'm aware that as like an interviewee, I'm like, oh, there's going to be another question. Us and the better list. You know, like, <laughs> so I'm like, I can't totally take your advice right now, Connor, but I will. No, but that's fine. But this is, a, this is, this is, it's supposed to be like that for the interview. It's fine. <laughs> so speaking Girl, of it's an interview. Yeah. Um, so, I just want to take a little bit of a turn um, and get away from writing for a second. Oh, so we all know 2020 was, and look, not even was it like to be yeah. honest, 2021 so far hasn't been all that great either. No, no, actually. You you seemed to have had a, a roller coaster of a 2020. I mean, um, which I haven't said it to you in person. I didn't even say it to you um, before we recorded. Congratulations, you got engaged. Um, also, congratulations, you published a book. But then also you unfortunately lost your mother. Um, so like that, I can't imagine how hard it has been um, having to go through all that. But what do you think has has um, the loss of your mother? Has that affected your writing at all? Like, you know, do you wish, obviously you wish she was there when you published The uh, Rise of One. But like, is there anything kind of about that you'd like to speak to? I think I'll just speak to say 2020 as a whole because the literal dedication inside Rise of One is this book is dedicated to 2020. What a year. That's the literal dedication. So 2020 started out, I think, even in January with the loss of my mum. And then coronavirus happened, let's just say. And then lockdown and I worked from home full time. And then sometime in August, I damaged my throat. I, I pulled some of the cartilage and that takes a very very long time to heal so that meant for my book launch I couldn't do this I couldn't do launches I couldn't do zoom events I couldn't do anything and even we, we had other plans and couldn't, couldn't do yeah. any of that so there was that and then oh I was publishing a book my first indie book and then right at the end of the year my significant other popped the question I, I think from when I was young up until about 30, the kind of, say, childhood I've had and the environment in which I've raised, if I've gotten through that, 2020 is nothing. <laughs> I think a tough childhood will temper you in a way that whatever comes, you just kind of go, okay, well, I'll just set a timer here for 30 minutes. I'm just going to write. What's next? Oh, the world is ending. Okay, I'm going to put that aside for now. What else can we do? 
And it's just, I don't know if you ever watched The West Wing, but Jed Bartlett, the president, Mark, Michael Sheen, Martin Sheen? Mm, Martin. Martin. His catchphrase is, what's next? And that, I actually love that show growing up, and that show kind of really helped me a lot growing up, to see professional people working in a professional environment. And kind of model myself off CJ Craig because she's six foot and so am I. Oh, anyway, but um, yeah, it can be, it's just like, what's next? You've, you've gone through the trauma. You've gone through the damage, you know, and I've shown that just little and often will get you to your goal. Don't panic. Don't be crying. You'll be all right. Just set a timer for like 15, 20 minutes, half an hour. What's your goal? Oh, a five book series. Okay, let's just write for 30 minutes. And then maybe we'll do that again later, or maybe we'll do it tomorrow. You know, it's, it's that kind of step by step. I just think, I know 2020 has been impossible for people, like it genuinely has, but there is that element of when you come from a background that's not sunshine and roses, where it's like, actually, I can get through this. It'd be grand. And then if you can help those around you get through that by being like, hey, I published a book this year. Hey, you know, I've got a good relationship this year. We can all do this and be, just being there for other people. I think that's so important. Like for the friends who, you know, it's probably the first time that they haven't been able to go home to mommy and daddy, that kind of thing, even though they're like our age and grown and whatnot. I yeah. think though that's, that's just a very Irish thing. We, we're very <laughs> like, you know, we, we both are not from Dublin, but living in Dublin. Yeah. And I mean, there are, there are people our age that I work with that go home to mommy, if not every weekend, every other weekend or, you know, and it's, it's a cultural thing. You should probably explain it to your, your, your it, it really is. is. I can't, I, I, that's, that's what I was trying to say. It's an Irish thing. It re, like to, to anyone in the States or um, the UK or anywhere other than Ireland, like it's, it's just a very cultural thing. And for example, I'm going to say um, if, if Eve said, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go home. I might ask her, are you going home? Or are you going home, home? And she knows home, exactly home. what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So, it's it's just it's yeah it's just a it's just a very cultural thing and I do think that's one thing a lot of Irish people found hard about lockdown was not being able to return to home home to where you grew up and um, you know that's I think that's yeah that has been tough on a lot of people because it was this perfect storm of again in Ireland and Dublin we've got this terrible housing situation terrible where people are stuck in bed sits flat chairs room chairs mm. and you can't move out because there's nowhere to move to. And you can't afford anywhere to move to. And I know so many people who are stuck in terrible situations with housemates who say aren't wearing their masks or washing their hands, that kind of thing. And it's been a shock to many people like that, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Also in uh, 2020 had uh, good things and we have to focus on them during bad times. Yeah. You released a book. Yeah. I started a podcast. All these wonderful Good things. man yourself. <laughs> I'm like I'm here I'm like so kind of tell me more with this podcast how did you You're like, that's not the interview that's not the interview girl yeah. that's, that's exactly what happened with uh, our mutual friend Stephen uh, Stephen Black oh, he was, he was oh, at, the, at the end of the interview he goes can we go again because I want to ask you all those questions again <laughs> Stephen it's not how it works Stephen. but yeah I mean just kind of on that note like as an as an indie author you do have to build a platform outside of publishing books say I'm a wide author but like publishing books on Amazon you can't just do that and expect sales obviously there's other elements of advertising you can do but I think it is important for doing your podcast it's important to do something else um I've been thinking of something kind of on YouTube for a while now and I'm kind of gearing up for that but 
I work a full-time job and it's very detail orientated and I have to, like it's kind of job where mistakes mistakes you know yeah. not to big it up or anything but you know you just have to be concentrated and obviously give your due respect to your job because that comes first and then there's writing and then there's marketing and then there's all bits of being a human <laughs> and then there's things. admin and then there's oh and then you're oh. like I have a fiance oh you have a wedding oh. to plan <laughs> I know I know can we just like stop this podcast and talk okay so listeners at the minute in Ireland you can only have six your wedding that includes the couple mm. and the solemnizer so there's three other people you can invite and no one can travel outside of a 5k radius so you have to pick so I think three people that are within your 5k radius of your venue. <laughs> Like, what do I feed these people? None of our restaurants are open. I do this dish where I cover. I know this has nothing to do with writing. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm going to give a good a good recipe right now. <laughs> so you get a chicken. I'm not even joking. I get a chicken, and literally, because the instruction of the recipe is <clears throat> my voice is going. The instruction is cover it in salt, cover it in so much salt that you feel embarrassed, and you put it in the oven for an hour. And what happens is it forms this salt crust around the chicken, and it boils inside this chick the, the chicken inside the salt crust. It sounds crazy, but if lockdown don't lift, that's what my fucking wedding guests are getting. LOL. Life is fine. 2021. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's almost as bananas as my uh, my father's way of cooking our Christmas ham, which is boiling oh, it Jesus. in Coca-Cola. I did that in Coca-Cola. Yes, it's really genius. Nice. Really, really yeah. nice, and you wouldn't think it is, but it's really nice. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> uh, not, not chicken. This is easily the most off the the tracks my interview has ever gone, and I'm loving it. Oh, so, Colin, I'm so sorry. Don't be, it's grand. So anyway, this has been the beginning segment, and as I said to you, this oh, is it just the beginning? This is the beginning. <laughs> No, the middle and the to be continued is very, very short. Jen. Oh, yeah, we'll talk very fast. We'll talk so, again. the middle of your story of a, as being a storyteller is you as a writer now and today. So, mm-hmm. my first question is usually, what are you writing at the minute? But I know it's 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 book two uh, of yes. the series. So, what is the biggest? Just narrow it down to one. What is the biggest lesson you've learned having done book one and then facing into book two? What's the one thing you're like? Okay, I made that mistake. I, I'm not going to do it this time. Uh, plan better. Okay. Um. <laughs> We've gone over planning already. I'm like, it's Just plan better. Because more planning. You can change your outlining method. You know, try something new. Try something that you hate. I ridiculed Save the Cat for so long. It seems so gimmicky to me. It seems so stupid to me. But then you have to shut up and sit down and try it. And then you're like, oh, it's actually really good. <laughs> LOL, who knew? There's so a really actually, if you... Popular. Hey, if you read book two, you can actually just like get to save the cat. You can point out, you know, oh, there's the there's the catalyst there now. And there's the just there's the double bump. They're now going into act two. Jesus. Here we go. So um how far into with books three to five, how far into the planning process of them are you? Like, do you know? I mean, I'm sure you know how book five ends, for example. Like, um, but do you know? How much of the ins and outs do you know of three, four, five? Yeah, they're they're all there, pretty much. I could say, oh, book three opens with blah and A, B, C, D happens. And then that's the end, which leads into book four. 
So my outlines now have become quite detailed. They're in a lovely colorful spreadsheet. They're gorgeous. So I do that for uh, three, four and five. Um, like you could say, hey, what happens in the middle of book three? And I'd be like, oh, that's the scene where and then Han, hmm, I could tell you. So yeah, it's, don't spoilers, but yes. <laughs> well, that's good. That so that's that's really interesting because that's one thing I'm, as I said, I'm trying to figure out about my own is, mm. do I need to know the ins and outs of three, four, or whatever? No, no. I genuinely think, and it unfolds as you write. Which I was, I was, I was shitting on the pantser people earlier, but a lot of your outlining will come as you write. But you do need. Okay, very quickly, very quickly. No, 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 it's fine. I, I make, I'm a knitter, I'm a crochet, and I make Irish lace as well, as a hobby, sometimes. What and don't you do? <laughs> I'm one of those. Who's yeah. <laughs> By the way, I make Irish lace, you know. Hi. Right. If everyone hasn't turned off, then it, the moral of this stupid story is that, okay, there is a pattern. I'm so sorry, Connor. There is a pattern, right? right. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing at me. You're putting me out here. Desperate interview all together. So no, me. no, no. Keep going. <laughs> I'm the editor as well. So if you go on too much, I can. <laughs> How dare you? I'm offended. Uh, so you look at a piece of Irish lace and you think, oh, that's gorgeous. No one can tell me that's not either creative or beautiful or elegant. Hmm. Yet behind it is a set of very rigid patterns. Mathematical even. Mathematically patterns and it was such a revelation to little old me to be like you can pattern behind your work and still have it be the most creative outlandish new age cutting edge thing you can imagine you can have that deep methodology that deep pattern behind it and it's still creative it's still beautiful people think planning will kill creativity it's the opposite it'll set you free it's the pegboard on which you fly yeah yeah no i metaphor there um i'm currently planning my second book in my series and i'm using hmm. uh, which i'm sure you would have heard of it if you were looking at planning john truby's the art of story or the anatomy of storytelling the anatomy of story yeah. yes and same as that i used to think ah, like i am a planner but i used to think following a step-by-step guide was ridiculous and it's not because the the creativity that panthers feel when they're there writing on the page i we because you're a planner too we get that in the planning stage and what's great is when the planning is done if you've done it well you write the book like that like it's it yeah. just flows out of you so quickly. it's fill in the blanks and not in yeah. that kind of really dull way it's nearly like ad libs no it's you high created, energy. you created the bits between the blanks so filling in the blanks is just you finishing your work really you know oh brilliant I put that one on a t-shirt I will <laughs> <laughs> so what um I mean I feel everyone's going to say publishing their first book usually and if it is that's okay but what has your proudest moment as a writer been so far I should say it's um it's that I get to write every day that's great it's it's that I haven't given up because so many have and it's not like oh I've done blah it's just like no every day I get to sit down and I do set a timer for 30 minutes and some days all I get done is 30 minutes and some days 29 of those minutes is looking out the window as I said to my friends the other day like a glitched sim you know but I make the time every day and that's my proudest thing no matter what's happening you try I think that's a really important thing though um like it's it's funny it's it's right every day 
but write every day without putting pressure on yourself and without beating yourself up if you can't or couldn't or if you're having a really bad day and you need to take a break yeah. that's fine so yeah. oh if you need to just sit there for 30 minutes off you go that will that will be nice that will do you more 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 good than anything it genuinely will and it's not even writing every day it's just give yourself 30 minutes every day write or not but do clear that little tiny space for yourself yeah exactly so mm. my next section and the final section of every episode of story of a storyteller is the to be continued and i always ask the exact same question to everybody because it's really nice to hear the different answers so yeah. when this interview is over and we've said our good looks and goodbyes and we've hit stop and all that what's the first thing you're going to do get a cup of tea that's <laughs> what i'm doing cup of tea she's irish folks uh, <laughs> and then what are your goals as a writer? I mean, I know you, you kind of, you've kind of already said this, but I know finished the Blood Brute series. Um, you have that YA trilogy. You know, what, what, but other than that, what are your kind of big, huge aspirations? Oh, God. Uh, I would like to learn Irish to the level where I can translate all this into Irish. Boalam Gaelga Faulam. On Lauer. See, the great thing is, I don't know, vampires and zombies, are they, is there an Irish equivalent? I'm sure there must be. But if there isn't, I'm just going with vampires, I'll get zombies. <laughs> Tashi Kakalor, yeah. No, Tashi. Hey. Oh, you, <laughs> you're an Irish teacher. Uh, well, I'm a primary teacher, so we have to, we have oh, to teach you. You'd have the gale there. Oh, okay. I but, love that. You just did a little bit, a perfect little bit of direct translation because you said you have the gale there, whereas... Anyone who doesn't do Irish, they'll say, oh, you sit, you speak Irish. But in Irish, direct in the language Irish, you have a language. So, ta gaeilge agam, ta gaeilge agam. So, ta gaeilge. So, ba wath lath gaeilge. Oh. I mean, it's just. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> do you know, like, when you just dug a hole for yourself, you're like, no one come out in the hole with me. No one needs to come into this hole. <laughs> Don't do it. But I just think, no, I just think, if growing up, if they'd been Irish science fiction mm. with vampires and zombies and all that stuff, not, not, not a retelling of Irish myth and legend, which as Irish writers, we see constantly. It's just bizarre how people keep picking on our monomyths, our cultural myths. And I'm like, but you can take gay vampires and put them like it's zombies. Why won't you do that instead? That's so why not? <laughs> oh. You'll get there. That's it. So, you, so basically, yeah. your big goal is write all the books and then get good enough at Irish that you can translate those books into Irish. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I just like to be good at Irish just because, oh, my degree is in early Irish and I really enjoyed that. And I saw the value of people in Irish don't value Irish. People in Ireland don't value Irish. It's it's a weird class marker thing now rather than a language. Mm, mm. And I think I would love for anything I write to, I could get that in Irish too. And that's just like a little kind of, I'd like that to happen. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Mm. Um, so we're wrapping up now and I only have the two questions left. So the first is, and there'll be links and all this, which are about here in descriptions and all those kind of places. So where can people find you and all your stuff and everything online? Excellent. I am at dixonrule.com and rule is spelled R-E-U-E-L. And I'm most active on Twitter. 
that's probably the best platform. That's where you'll get all the memes, basically. That I retweet all the memes. You want some memes? Yeah, you want some memes? Just you know, come along on Twitter. Um, so yeah, on the website you'll get the links to the two free prequels. You get the links to Rise of One, which is paperback and ebook, and you can also get a link to pre-order book two, which is Fall of Two. And on the website and even on my Twitter and Instagram and all the rest, you can see the beautiful covers by my illustrator, which are I feel are stunning. Oh, I so sorry. I actually really wanted to speak about them because they're yeah. amazing. They're so good. Nothing to do with me at all. Oh, I, I yeah. don't it was just like I found this amazing. So okay, so any author listening to this, you need to find the website Readsy, R E E D S Y, which is nearly like a phone book for writing professionals. And from there, I found editors, I found publicists, I found. But the best one I found is the illustrator, Natasha McKenzie. Um, she's on Twitter as well and on Instagram. And I literally just said, "Look, I don't know exactly what I need for this series, but." here's my Pinterest board <laughs> off you go and she sent me back just this one eye and that's uh, you'll see on the yeah. cover of all the books it's the eye motif which is actually a very interesting plot point throughout the book in that power moves you know something power is like oh I have great hearing oh my hearing is so good what happens if you lose that or what if it jumps to a different sense so the eye is quite interesting throughout Blood Brute and she picked up on that instantly and she's like, bam, bam, bam. And each cover in each iris, there's a different plot, twisty thing. So book two takes place in a tower. And of course, in the iris of book two, there's this amazing chess piece. Is the rook in the eye? And I'm like, Natasha, you just hit the right spot. You know what you're doing. And she'll come at me with like colors. Like the, the book two color is, is yellow. And I'm like, yellow? Ah, for a heart? What? And I look at it, I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right, Natasha. I'm sorry. Carry yeah. on. <laughs> you're the professional. <laughs> you're the professional. Yeah. So I, I, know it's a, I know it's hard for indie authors to hire professionals. I know that is. Because that costs you want to appear professional, money. you have to. If you want to be a professional, you have to hire professional editors. Yeah. You have to hire professional cover designers. You have to not make the same mistake Connor made and do the copy editing yourself. You have to hire a copy editor. <laughs> no, you're dead okay. right. Yeah, because I literally had that conversation on... Literally on the self-publishing Reddit today, I was like, I mentioned something about I about the Wishing Shelf Book Awards that Rise of One being a finalist. And I said, you know, I just mentioned that and I said, you know, it's important to focus on writing sometimes rather than all the other stuff that comes with it. And people in the comments were like, oh, but you have to pay to enter the contest. And I'm like, that's the cost, that's the cost of doing business. If you want to be an indie author. That's the cost of doing business. And that seems so alien to people. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll read it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my final question, Eve. Um, yes, sir. Nice. Very, very simple. What was the most recent book you read or the last book you read? The last book I finished was Dune Messiah. Uh, because this year I'm just rereading things. I'm going back to kind of the sci-fi greats. I'm going back to... Arrival, and I'm going back to um, the Dark Tower series, and I'm going back to, and even just even outside of that, the books that I love, like there's this author, Mary Reynolds, and her kind of retelling of ancient Greek and Roman times. So her series on Alexander the Great, for example, is from the perspective of his male concubine, who was Darius the Greatest concubine. And it's a 
fascinating study in unreliable, unreliable narration. Right. Yeah. So it's, this year is all about a revisit for books. And the short answer to your question is Dune Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the long answer is, I'll tell you what happened, right? On January 1st, it's like, I'm going to read all, I'm going to reread everything this year. I'm going to brush up and reread no new books this year. I started off with Dune and it's like this big. It's like War and Peace. I was like, oh. What did I do? <laughs> I know. And you're like 20 pages, 20 chapters in. You're like, they're still in the shagging desert. Oh my fucking God. No, and then 20 I got pages to Dune in and you're still like in the opening song if it was a musical. <laughs> there you go, you know, talk, you know. But yeah. That's the, and now I'm in the middle of oh, The Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton. And that book saved me. That book, oh. <laughs> um, Eve, thank you so much for thank you, Carmel, this, for being on the show, for being such a good guest yeah. and for dropping so many pearls of wisdom and also cracking so many jokes. <laughs> hey. A nice mix. We're just going to keep trying. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we can ever do. Okay. Timer for 30 minutes. Keep trying. <laughs> Thanks. See you. Thank you, Connor. Take care. I want to thank Eve, or should I say Dixon, for coming onto the show and sharing her story. Between microphone issues beforehand and a good chat we had after the interview, we ended up on a Zoom call for over two hours together. And I think that's the best thing about this podcast. As I said earlier, it's all the connections I'm forging. You can find Eve on her website, www.dixonrule.com, uh, D-I-X-O-N-R-E-U-E-L, where you can download her free, her two free short stories and also be sure to follow her on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, as always, links are in the description. So that's a wrap for season two. Um, I found it hard to believe that time flew that quickly. <laughs> Thank you so much to anyone that listened. It means a lot. The few people that listen think that it's a great show and I agree. Um, I think it's only as good as the guests and uh, so far the guests have been amazing. So once again, thank you to the season two guests, David Ledane, Dougie Brimson, Jennifer Benson, Ross Young, Eve MacDonald, Mike Coles, Lally Love, Andrew Shanahan, Joshua Gillingham and of course Eve Power, also known as Dixon Rule. Most importantly, thank you to my wonderful patrons, um, you few but glorious people who are helping this podcast in more ways than you could understand. So that's it for me for this episode and for this season of the show. Be sure to come back in two weeks time, April 1st, for the start of season three. And no, that's not a joke. <laughs> but until then, see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you loved listening to this episode just as much as I loved recording it. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or over on Podchaser. Until then, be good, be brave, and tell stories. See ya!